0: okay Matthew 21 we're gonna hopefully finish the chapter this evening that is the goal uh, because as we go down through we got down through verse 22 so we'll start in verse 23 and uh, we're just really going to kind of look down through here um, again where we are just uh, last, the last few days of the Lord's earthly ministry here uh, he's going to also, we're in the last few days of his life. He's, he, he's on his way to, he entered into Jerusalem. Uh, he's been into the temple, cleaned out the money changers. Uh, he's healed the blind. He's healed the lame guy. Uh, he goes out of the city at night, comes back up during the day. Uh, then he, when he comes in, he curses the fig tree. We saw that issue there, that fig tree, that, one, that awesome picture of Israel looking like they're ready to, to give the fruit, and yet there's nothing there. And we're, we're, as we start here in verse 23, he's going to talk to the chief priest and to the elders. And uh, he's actually going to lay, and then he's going to go down uh, in verse, uh, well, he's going to start here in verse 23, and he's going to go all the way into chapter 22, verse 15, and where he's then going to deal with the Pharisees. In verse 16 of chapter 22, he's going to deal with the Herodians. Then you get down to verse 23, he's going to deal with the Sadducees. Then in down in verse 34 and 35, he's going to deal with the lawyers. So what he's going to do here is he's going to begin to break down the, in, the nation into various classes and as they're looking at him as they're standing around him and he begins to address them he begins to address each of these groups he's really talking to them about the judgment of God that's going to come on them and their attitude toward him that <laughs> really is why the judgment is going to come So he's going to begin to lay out some parables here. Actually, there's three of them that we're going to see as we go through here. And again, Matthew uh, looks up and and it takes that overview, dispensational-type point of view. And uh, it, it, it compresses everything down. So Matthew, as he's overlooking the activities of Christ and the things that Christ has been doing... He brings out, he just points out the issues that are are identifying him as the Messiah. And and then those issues also that are identifying Israel's unbelief and their rejection of him because of their unbelief. So Matthew's, we're going to have this big picture. and, And these things are happening quickly. You know, sometimes when we've read and studied in the past in Matthew... Things have taken a couple months to get through. These aren't, these are happening quickly because Calvary is on the doorstep. It's right there. So we're gonna, he's gonna move quickly with these guys. So guess what? We're gonna move quickly as well. Verse 23. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said by what authority doest thou these things and who gave thee this authority now these guys they they come in basically he said we want to know what you're doing now if you think about what did he just do he just healed some people okay And yet, they didn't didn't pay attention to that. They were more worried about what, what he just did, which back in verse 12, and Jesus went into the temple and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves." And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. That that's what he just did. He he just went in, and he throws all the crooks out, all the all the mess, the money changers, and all the people that are really making uh, merchandising the temple. And he says, "Hey, I want you know, the, verse twenty-three, the chief priests and the elders, the the people that the." That the people set up to kind of protect the, protect them, they come in here and go, man, what are you doing? What by whose authority are you doing what you're doing? By, by the way, he claims that it's the temple of God. Verse 13 My house shall be called the house of prayer. Why, does it, why in the world would he say it's my house? Because he's God. It's his, it's his temple, it belongs to him. They don't pick up on that at all. They don't pick up, they don't say, you know, if you just saw the lame guy get healed and the blind guy get healed, wouldn't you think you're paying attention to that more than a bunch of people who are kind of got their feathers ruffled a little bit over here that he just kicked out? But they don't do that. They look right at, and, and whose authority, by what authority? Who gave thee this authority to do these things? And these guys had every opportunity to acknowledge that he was the Messiah. Because look at what he just did. What did Isaiah 35 say? When your Messiah shows up, when God shows up, here's what he's going to do. And he lists them all out for him. He's the Messiah. But again, the leadership, they come in and say, who gave you this authority? Who, by what right do you have to do this? So, verse 24. And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus looks at them and says, okay, <laughs> I'll ask you a question. You tell me, you answer my question, and uh, I will answer your question. Now, he, he does answer them in John 5 but he doesn't answer them here. In John 5, he said, the Father has committed these things. That's the authority that that I'm operating on, the authority from the Father. The Father committed the authority into my hands, John 5. He could have answered the question the same way, but here he didn't. And rather, he's going to now turn the tables on them, because again, he's going to give them three uh, parables here that's showing their unbelief and why the judgment of God is going to come on and upon them. He's, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna gig them. He's going <laughs> to poke them, <laughs> giggle them. I, I was listening to Dad the other day, and he's like, yeah, you just gig the guy. And I'm like, gig? Oh, yeah, you know, we used to go down... When, uh, verse 24, we used to go down on uh, Mobile Bay. My grandparents, my mom's mom and dad had a house on Mobile Bay. And we would go down and we'd go out at night flounder hunting, fishing. And you'd wear the big lamps on your head because it would reflect off their eyeball. Flounders are a flat fish or on their sides. And the only way to catch them is to gig them with a stick, with a big old stick. You know, it's like a trash picker upper looking thing, you know, wham. And then we didn't usually come back with uh, more misses than in the bucket. <laughs> and then we'd go out and get anyway, and it had nothing to do with Matthew. Matthew 24 uh, 20, verse 24. And Jesus answered and said unto them, "I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I likewise tell you by what authority I do these things." Question. The baptism of John, whence was it from heaven? Or of men? Where did it come from? The baptism of John. Did it come from heaven? Or did it come from men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. He's got them in a quandary, doesn't he? You see, if... where did John's baptism come, from heaven or men? That's a simple question, isn't it? And it's honestly, I don't think any of us in the room have a problem with answering that question. Where did it come from? From heaven. From heaven. Yeah. Okay, They know that. They understood that. They, they, they know that John said, the Father spoke to me. He said to me, go do this and go do that, and when you see this happen. But they know John's testimony, John's witness. Verse 26, the people fear him for all hold John. The people know John was a prophet. They got it. They all understood that. But yet, what did they do in the verse? They reasoned with themselves. They began to come along and think about, hey, If we answer it this way, he's going to get us. And if we answer it this way, they're going to get us. Uh, Come back to chapter 17 of Matthew. You see, this thing about reasoning, and really what we're going to see here in all of this is the mindset and the thinking of religious leaders, period. This is Israel specifically, but any of them, any of the religious leadership out there, even in today's organized religion, When you look at what's going on, you know what they're doing? They're playing the game to keep their power and to keep their influence and to keep what they think is rightfully theirs. Look at Matthew 17. Look at verse 25. Now, in in Matthew 21, the chief priests, the elders, the leaders, they reasoned with themselves. They're trying to figure out how to dance around the question. Watch Peter, verse 25. He saith, yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus pre- prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take customer tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Then Peter reasoned with himself. Doesn't say that, does it? Verse 26. Peter said unto him, Of strangers... Peter didn't sit there and go, okay, look, if I answer it this way, it's going to be... A... He just did what? Plain answer, here it is, of strangers. Jesus said unto him, then are the children free. You see, the, back in Matthew 21, the question comes out. It's clear. And the Lord... And, and, and you know what? If they had said heaven, you know what the Lord would have said? Then why didn't you believe him? Their reasoning is right, is accurate. It isn't a faulty reason. The problem is, verse 26 we have fear of the people verse 27 and they answered Jesus and said to him we cannot tell a bunch of lying they lied by a, we cannot tell you see Jesus answered they he asked a question they come together reason figure it out they know that they'll lose the people they can't lose the people cuz that's their power base okay <laughs> debate terminology. There's their base, all right? And yet, what do they say? We cannot tell. And he said unto them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. And what you see here by them reasoning together is that they come up and they say, we're not going to pick sides. We're not going to tell. We cannot tell. We're going to be open-minded and tolerant. We're not going to be narrow-minded. We're going to be broad-minded and just claim that, you know what, we can't tell, we're agnostic. We can't tell. We don't know. We don't know. And again, that's how these guys function. And you know what? When you start talking to someone about the Lord or about the gospel or about doctrine, guess what they say? You're narrow-minded, you're being a bigot, you're, being, you're, not, you're intolerable, you're, you can't know, no compassion, and you're sitting there going, I'm just trying to help you. These guys are the same way. Actually, if you look down there at verse 45, and when the chief priest and Pharisees had heard his parable, they... What perceive that he spake of them? They know what's going on. Verse thirty-seven. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, "They will reverence my son." A a reference to Christ. Verse thirty-eight. But when the the husbandman saw the son, they said among themselves, "Notice, this is the heir." They know who Christ is. They don't, there's no shadow of a doubt. There's no questioning. They know what's going on. They know him. Yet, you know what they claim? We don't know. We can't tell. They said we, they, they claim that we don't know, we can't tell, in order to protect their ecclesiastical, big word, Rick doesn't use big words, but big word, position and as long as you remain uncommitted as long as you remain in the over there in the dark corner religion will allow you to receive the praise of men it would allow you to keep your standing and if you think it's too hard well guess what's gonna happen they'll just let you be come over to John chapter 12 John chapter 12 you see What we're getting a picture here of by the Lord is, is the mindset, the thinking of the religious crowd, specifically the leaderships here. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the religion, Israel, but if you roll it over into the religions of the world, guess what? They operate the same way. But you know what happens as soon as you start knowing something and knowing stuff? And figuring things out, what do they do? They give you the left boot of fellowship, don't they? And they remove. Why? Because you begin to threaten their positions and their power and their authority. And honestly, that's what the Lord's doing here. He's laid it in on them. And they're like, well, because what does he say? I'm not going to tell you. You can't tell me. I ain't going to tell you. You know, (laughs) na-na-na-boo-boo. He just, wham. John 12. Verse 42, nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. Isn't that interesting? The same group of people that are over there talking about Matthew, there's people in that class, in that group there, the chief rulers, you know what they did? They believed on him. One of the major ones in John is Nicodemus from John chapter 3. Zacchaeus is another one, but Nicodemus is a prominent one. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. There were men in that crowd that knew the right answers to the questions, but they didn't speak up and they didn't say what the right answer was because they feared losing their position and privilege and standing. By the way, one of the components in all of this was that, yeah, you know who I am? You have to confess me. It isn't enough just to know who he is, but you had to go out there and confess, because what was one of the rules of discipleship? Being take, I'm, he says, I'm coming to separate husbands from wives, dads and moms from their kids. There's a, there's a forsaking of all. That's what I was looking for, the forsaking of everything. Guess what these guys didn't do? They didn't forsake. We saw that back there in Matthew when, when Peter says, we have forsaken all, now what are we getting here? What's going on? What's the setup? And the Lord tells him. Verse 43, John 12, 43, For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now go back to Matthew 21. So that's where we're at. That's who we're dealing with. Christ's response here in Matthew 21, verse 27 is rather a very interesting one. He set the situation up, and, and then he responds. They say, we can't tell. By the way, they're willfully ignorant because their aim of their ignorance is to protect themselves from losing the praise of men. That's what John 12:43 just told us. They've got it figured out. They know that everybody knows John's ministry came from heaven. They also know that if they say it came from heaven, what's he gonna say? Why didn't you believe it then? Why didn't you submit to it? They knew, they, they knew there weren't. They knew they didn't. They knew, you know, they've already handed John over to Herod and he killed him. So the best course for these guys is just to say, we can't tell. Willful ignorance. And the problem in Israel was not that they didn't know, because they do know. The problem in, in, in Israel was that they chose not to believe. And I'll be honest with you, don't ever forget that. When you look at Israel, and you look at what they're doing, Paul, Romans 9, what does he say? Why didn't Israel get the righteousness? Because they didn't seek it by faith. They they did it in unbelief, the law of the righteousness there. Lord's saying the same thing right here. Hey, you know what you guys are? You guys know what's going on. You know it. I know it. But you're just play in the game to stay in power verse 27 and they answered Jesus and said we cannot tell and he said unto them neither tell I you by what I'm sorry neither tell I you by what authority I do these things the Lord says okay guys you're going to claim ignorance you're going to claim the <clears throat> Dearly beloved, we're gathered here, and we're going to have an open mind and be tolerant. When in fact, they were deliberately hiding from the truth, from the word of God. So he says, "You just keep keep right on going," but I'm not going to tell you a thing. And that is the condition in Israel the condition of willful unbelief, deliberate unbelief. Now, he's going to go on now in verse 28, and he's going to lay out three parables that are going to set their condition in place. The chief priest and the elders, he's he's dealing with them in response. And the first one here, he starts in verse 28, and he asks them a question. But what think ye? He said, I, "I'm not going to tell you where I. What, I'm not going to tell you what authority I have. If you don't want to know, I won't tell you. But let me ask you a question. What think ye? Now, what he's going to do now is, is he's going to kind of toss it all back on them, and he's going to confront them here, and he's not going to let them off the hook with a no answer." No comment. Okay? Verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he repented and went. And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whither... Of them, twain did the will of his father. They said unto him, the first. Okay? you see, got the scenario. He says to the first son, I want you to go work in the field, in the vineyard. And the son said, no, I'm not going to. Could you imagine telling your dad No. <laughs> I couldn't, no, but then in a couple hours, what did he do? I can't really tell dad, no, that's so, and he goes. Then he goes to the next son and says, I want you to go down there and work in the vineyard and the field, and he goes, yeah, dad, I'll go in a minute. And the next thing you know, the minute turns to darkness, and, and he never made it. Okay, so which one of these guys really did the will of the Father? Well, the first one did. Now, watch what he says, verse 31. They say unto him, the first, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Uh Uh-oh. That's the religious leaders. Verse 32, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness and ye believed him not but the publicans and the and the harlots believed him and ye when ye had seen it repented not afterward that ye might believe on i'm sorry that ye might believe him in other words the publicans and the harlots out there you know what they first said no no god They were out living and breaking the commandments and living the way they wanted to live. They were out of the will of God. (laughs) Okay? John comes, Matthew 3, he cries to them. What did they do? They repented. They turn around, they repent, they change their thinking, their minds, repent, change their minds, and did what? Believe. They got water baptism, John's baptism. He's down there in the the Jordan baptizing them. But then when he comes to the Pharisees and the scribes, the priests, the rulers, what are they doing? Well, they're down there in the temple doing all the stuff that, all the, you know, religions, religious stuff. They were professing to be serving God and doing and everything. When the publican and the, and the harlots weren't, that's the first group, they said no, but then they did what? Turned out, too. What's the second group doing? The second son. He says, Yes, I'm going. Yes, I'm doing. But he never made it. They were obviously, the harlots and the publicans were violating the commandments of God, but the men, the religious leaders, the guys who had the religious service, they were doing the religious things, the ceremony. They were just simply giving lip service to God. They were like the fig tree, professing to have fruit, all full of leaves, and yet having none. They all, they, they, the, the publicans, I'm sorry, the religious leaders had everything going for them. They had it all. And yet, when John showed up, they said, no. Yes, Lord, we're going. Woohoo! we're down here. Woo, raising the roof, bringing in the money, the tithes and offerings. And you know what happened? You know what the Lord says? The publicans and the harlots are going in before you. Now come over to chapter twenty-three, Matthew twenty-three. I, you think about that. Here, here they are. They think they've got it made. They are the privileged group, and yet the Lord looks at them and says, "Nope, thanks for playing." Matthew twenty-three, verse seven. And greetings in the marketplace. Verse 6, oh shoot, might as well go back up there to verse one, 2. Saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, verse 7. And greetings, verse 6. And, and love the uttermo- uppermost room at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Be, but be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. There are three religious titles given there. The rabbi, the master, and father. And again, father there is not like dad, it's that priest. Okay, You go back to Judges 17 and you see it as a religious come over to Luke 7 in their heart when the word of God came to them from John that's what we're talking about Matthew 21 rather than responding in faith they respond in unbelief Luke 7 they Come in, and they look at the baptism of John, which is a critical point in all of the earthly ministry of Christ, all for the little flock, all for the believing remnant, all for the nation of Israel. The critical, the pivotal point is the baptism of John. Luke 7, 29. And all the people that heard him, that's John, And the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. When it says there that the publicans justified God, that were justified, declared to be what? Right. Righteous. Right. And what they said, God is right, we're wrong. And believing what he said, what'd they go and do? They were baptized, of John's baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. They went and did it. Now watch the next verse, 30. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of Him. You see, rather than responding in faith, they responded in unbelief. Water baptism in this period, it had to do with an outward expression of an inward faith. You you hear people say that all the time. But dispensationally in the earthly ministry, in the time period of the Gospels, that is exactly what they were to do. They were to come along, And they were to have an outward expression of an inward faith. They heard the word from John. They heard the word from the Lord. And they get water baptized. And that issue there, the fact then that the Pharisees and the lawyers do what? They reject the counsel of God. They reject the word of God against them. Their heart is filled with willful disobedience unbelief and as a result you know what they weren't doing the will of the father even though they professed to be doing what the will of the father <laughs> now that's what's going on come back to Matthew 21 that's what's happening here that's their condition that's who they were and that's their status and, and that's the condition that Israel was in and that's the condition that the religious leaders today and the body of Christ are in. They go over there and they say, Lord, we cast out devils and did all this stuff in your name. And he says, I don't know who, who are you? You depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Whoa. But what have we been, wait a minute, Lord, we've been doing all this in your name. I think about Paul in, uh. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 11 over there, and he talks about Satan transforming to an angelite and his ministers be translated into ministers of righteousness. They got, they're scriptural. That's why the world's most dangerous doctrine is to be scriptural, but not dispensational. It's deadly. It's critical. And yet, here they are. Matthew 21. I got to get back there. Verse 33, next parable. Again, he is nailing them, man. He, he's just, he's gigging them. Verse 33, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged the wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to the husbandman, and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. Now, wow, you're talking about painting a perfect picture, okay? So there was a certain householder. The householder is God, all right? Which planted a vineyard, that's Israel, Psalms 80, Isaiah 5, Israel is, is, is the, the uh, um, he plants a vineyard in Judah, the verse says, okay? The husbandmen, the farmers, the guys who are the attenders there, the husbandmen, those are the religious leaders, those are the rulers of, of uh, uh, that he's talking about in verse 23 of Israel, Okay? The servants. Those are the prophets. God sends them prophets. He sends them Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea, Joel, and Amos and Obadiah. And what do they all do to those guys? Kill them. From the righteous, from the blood of righteous Abel all the way to Zechariah, they just kill them. And he sends more. And guess what they do? More. All, all you go back in that Old Testament, and you know what you see? Over and over and over again. They just kill him. Look, verse 37. But the last of all, he sent unto them his son. Well, all right, now who is that? Duh. There's the Lord. Saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come let us kill him and let us seize. "...on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. These men were more than just unfaithful. They sought to seize the vineyard by violence." Matthew 11. Look look back there. Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse verse 12. Matthew 11, verse 12. You see, they sought to seize the vineyard, to seize the inheritance... And they're going to do it with violence. So it's not just to take it and to use it for their own gain. But it's to take it by violent activity. And that's critically important. Matthew 11, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. The kingdom... It's in the hands of a bunch of religious mobsters. <laughs> you know, that's, all, that's uh, gangsters. They want come, to they, they come along and they're taking it with by violence. Now the interesting side note to this issue here, go back to Matthew 21, is that the issue of the demonic activity that's going on here, so I got a sneeze. <laughs> uh, excuse me. I'm trying to guard the mic so I don't blow out the internet. And and I'm more than six feet away from everybody. I'll get an email. That's <laughs> that's okay. When 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 you see this issue of the violence, the demonic activity that goes on in the gospels when you see the tremendous violence that gets involved in it, where people are taken and thrown into the fire and they're thrown in the ground, they're, I mean, they're just, they're beat up. That violence demonstrates the satanic attack on the nation of Israel, but Satan using the, the leaders of Israel to bring that nation into a not-my-people condition, not usable by God to fulfill his promises. Go back to Matthew 21. And when that happens, when you see the stuff about violent, they're going to seize it, and they're going to come in with violence and take him and kill him. And there's more than than just man sitting over there going, you know, how are we going to rob this? But there's a satanic Paul calls it in Ephesians 2, the course of this world. And and, uh, this plays into what we're going to look at Sunday about Romans 13 and the violence. And there's an evil that Paul is specifically talking about. And when that happens, we as members of the body of Christ need to know what to do about it and how to deal with it. But at the same token, God has dealt with it and has a mechanism to do that. All right, Matthew 21, verse 40. And when the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Notice the question. He asks them another question. Now, he's doing this in all these parables. They wouldn't answer the first one. So then he gives them a parable, ask ask them a question. okay. He asked them a question so that they would condemn themselves. They come along then, they originally said what? We don't know. We can't tell. Then they say, well, the first. And he's like, yep, you aren't the first, you're the second son. And now here he's doing it again. In verse 41, they say unto him, we will Miserably destroy those wicked men. And uh, he will. What, is the, what, what will, the, husb- what will the, the householder do to the husbandman? What do they say? They're going to condemn themselves again. He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard in- unto another husbandman, which shall render him the fruits in their season. Now, that's the logical answer. He's going to fire them. He's going to get rid of them. And he's going to hire a bunch of other people. Actually, he doesn't fire them. He destroys them. Okay. Jesus answered unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures? Over and over. Yeah, You guys are a bunch of Bible blockheads. You didn't read. Don't... You're supposed to know, you're supposed to be the builders of Israel, Acts four over there verse eight through 11. You guys are supposed to be building, here's what he's going to say, the stone which the builders rejected. See, they're supposed to be building Israel. They're supposed to be the authority. They're supposed to be reading that book, knowing what the law says, knowing what the scriptures say teaching the nation of Israel building them up doing everything that was their job and they just condemned themselves because they've never read the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected the same it's become the head of the corner this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes and again the builders of Israel that's the religious leaders that's what Acts 4 identifies them as, verse 8 through 11, for your note-takers. And again, their job, they were to be Israel's builder, to build them up, to put in the, the sound doctrine that was theirs, given through them in the pattern of Moses. They were to build that into the nation The nation was to be built up by faith in that doctrine that God had committed to Moses and to these men, and yet these men weren't doing that. They weren't walking by faith in the doctrine that God had given them. Had they been walking by faith, then the word of God would have pointed them to who? To him. He said, remember that thing about Abraham? If you'd have believed Abraham, Abraham spoke of who? Me, he says. Not me, but him. Therefore, verse 43, I say unto you, again, the you here is the religious leaders, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. See how they just condemn themselves? (laughs) He's going to do this. He's going to tear them up. He's going to defeat them, destroy them. And he's like, that's you. You're the second son. You're not the first son. It's you. It's you. Well, verse the end of verse forty-five, they perceived that he spake of them. Now, verse forty-three is a very important. It's probably the most important verse in all of Matthew, is verse forty-three. Okay, because what happens here is Christ is in the process of replacing the builders of the nation. They, the religious leaders, the chief priests, the elders, they should have been the builders of Israel. They haven't. They've rejected the cornerstone. God the Father is rejecting them. He's replacing them with a nation, a nation. The key word in verse 43 is that word a, a nation. Because what happens is, is everybody runs to, to Dr. Schofield's note. At the bottom, where it says, note, that Matthew here, as in verse 31, uses the larger word, kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, and he gives a whole bunch of verses, will yet be set up. Meantime, here's the note that everybody runs to. Meantime, the kingdom of God and his righteousness is taken from Israel nationally and given to the Gentiles. That's his note. It's right there. Okay? So so not everything in Schofield is accurate. That's why you don't study his notes. You study the Word. Okay? But what it does is it begins to establish the issue here that then everybody else has in all of their theology that we are spiritual Israel. He he, He gave Israel all of the physical... Uh, uh, cursings and we're reaping the spiritual benefits today so the kingdom is not a literal physical visible earthly davidic kingdom it's now in our hearts and we're building the kingdom in our hearts and yes i'm mocking them because that's what they say okay and if you've ever wondered where they get it from they get it from this verse right here He isn't giving the kingdom to nations, it is a nation. You you follow that? Now, come over to John 10. John 10. Because they use John 10 to bolster their claim. John 10, verse 16. John 10, 16. When we were in John, we went through this passage. I warned you then, I'll warn you now, verse 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there, there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And you see that thing there when Jesus says, other sheep have I that are not of this fold? They say, see, there's the Gentiles. There's the church, the body of Christ. There's Paul as their shepherd, and he's calling them together, and they're all, and da, da 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 And you know what? The Gentiles are never called sheep in the Bible. The closest thing you get to it is in Matthew 25, but that's over in the kingdom where he separates the sheep from the goats. That's the closest you can get to it. So who's this other sheep, other fold? Well, wasn't there more than I mean, there's a bunch of Jews, a bunch of little flockers. Literally, just for sake of time and my excitement, is he is talking about e- Ezekiel 37 is what he's talking about. Where he takes the two sticks and makes them one. Where he takes the valley of dry bones and brings it all, and he restores the nation of Israel. It's literally when Israel is, bi- where he binds together the two houses of Israel under the authority of Jerusalem. Remember in Matthew 10, what did he say? Don't go to the Samaritans. They were the, they were the picture of the northern ten tribes. They had been sucked away into Assyria Immediately. He said, Don't go up there to those guys. You come. And by the way, the reason for that is because they refused to give Jerusalem the respect of being the city of the great king. To being where God had told Israel three times a year, all males come to Jerusalem. Jeroboam and Rehoboam over there, Jeroboam says, No, you don't need to go down there. You just come up here to Dan or Bethel. Go to your local temple, you'll be good. And he set up a competing religion. And the Samaritans fell, the northern ten tribes fell for it. And he says, until they respect Jerusalem, you don't talk to them. It's very interesting, by the way, in Acts 8, Philip goes to a Samaritan. And the Samaritans are ready to receive the light. He deals with the Ethiopian, the Gentile, Acts 8. They're ready to receive the light. But in Acts 8, verse 1, there's no one in Jerusalem except for the twelve. They've all been scattered abroad. Jerusalem is not ready. The light's out. The Gentiles and the Samaritans are ready. But no, there's nobody at home yet. <laughs> Israel's still a mess. Now, one more, Romans 10. So they there's three, there's three verses, three references here that people use. Matthew 21, 43, John 10, verse 16, and Romans 10, verse number 19. Where Paul says, but I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. And Paul quotes Moses out of Deuteronomy 32 about a foolish nation. And you know what they say? See, that confirms it. Who are the people who are far off? The Gentiles. So it's the Gentiles. They're the foolish nations that are going to be used. And they make that word singular in the plural. Because the question then is, is, okay, which Gentile nation are you talking about? And nine out of ten of them say the United States of America. That's what they, And the reason why is because we've been blessing Israel since 1948. Which is the case okay, and they, got, they start pulling this stuff out of the air so that they can claim to be spiritual Jews, so they can reap the spiritual benefits when all they have to do is go read Ephesians 1, and you know what? The same spiritual benefits that they're awaiting Romans 9 for the Jews to get, you and I have immediately at the moment of our salvation, the adoption, all of that we get it up front they're waiting for the kingdom to get enjoy the go back to Matthew 21 i got we got to finish the passage We're almost done anyway but see the thing is is people use this stuff Luke 12 go to Luke 12 one more verse Luke 12 and verse number 32 what nation is he going to give that kingdom to Luke twelve thirty two. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So who's he going to give the kingdom to, little flock, not a bunch of ragtag. Matthew twenty one, Gentiles, which. Yeah, exactly. Why would he give his kingdom to a bunch of dogs, but again they go off of a note from Dr. Schofield because he could never tell us wrong lead us astray by the way the note comes out of Darby it comes out of Larkin they're all contemporaries of one another so it's just a but it comes down it comes down campfire to campfire because that's where they were now we know different okay we're standing on Schofield's shoulders no doubt about it him and Darby and Larkin and those guys uh, Welch and Bullinger, all those guys recovered truth and brought it back up. Yeah, but it doesn't mean they're always right. Who's he going to, verse 43, I'm going to take the kingdom from you and give it, give to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. They understood that he was talking about a literal, physical, visible, earthly Davidic covenant with headquarters in Jerusalem. They understood that to be what he was talking about. They understood also that they were in trouble, the leaders here. This is a judgment against them. Luke 12, 32 says, You know what he's going to do? He's going to give that kingdom to the little flock. That's who he's given it to, that believing remnant. Now, watch verse 44 21, 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard this parable, these parables, sorry, his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. They got the point, and they wanted to destroy him, but they couldn't because of the people. The common, ordinary people listening to his word. They said, "That's God's word. Don't touch the man. He's a prophet." That's what they're saying. And I'll be honest with you, that's how most of this... I mean, you look around at us, I look at our ragtag band that comes in here from time to time, and who are we? Common, ordinary people that believe the Word of God. We're a people of a book. That's what we are. Whosoever shall fall on this stone... Now, the stone, obviously, is Christ... shall be broken. That's the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about, okay? Then he says, "But on whosoever it shall fall." Now we're talking about the second coming. He's going to grind him to powder. So there are three stones here. Okay. Now the second coming, grinding him to powder—that's Daniel two, verse forty-four and forty-five. So real quick, let's run back there to Daniel two, so you see it. Daniel two, forty-four. And 45, the two verses that give you the whole goal of prophecy. You want to know what prophecy is all about? Here it is: Daniel 2:44 and 45. By the way, that's a test question in Daniel. Just a heads up, okay? <laughs> Daniel 2:44. And in the day, now Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and Daniel's given him the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar has that dream of that great image, and he sees a stone coming out, knocking it all down. Daniel says about that stone. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it brake in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. So it's a smiting stone. It's a grinding stone. It's going to come in and grind them down into power. So when you come back to Matthew 21, he's, first he's a stumbling stone to those that don't have faith. They fall on, him. they stumble over him. You, you, you read First Peter 2 verse eight. you read Romans 9, verse 32 and 33. They stumbled at the stumbling stone. So the first stone is a stumbling stone. They stumble over him. That's his first coming. Then he is a grinding stone, a smiting stone. That's Daniel 2: 44 and 45. What's he going to do? He's going to come and he's going to wipe them all out, grind them down. Okay? Uh, By the way, he doesn't grind them into annihilation. Where does he grind them to? Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, the lake of fire, an eternal damnation. Okay? Now come over to 1 Corinthians 10, because there is a third stone description here. 1 Corinthians 10. So you got three stones. By the way, you got three cornerstones. He's the chief, he's the good. He's the, um, I just had it. Anyway, the, the chief stone. 1 Corinthians 10, look at verse number 4. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 4. So he's a stumbling stone, he's a smiting stone, and now he is a saving stone. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they all drank of that spiritual rock That followed them, and that rock was Christ. It's a saving and sustaining stone. It sustained them. It it was their Savior. We sing that song, on Christ the solid rock I stand. My hope is built on nothing less, okay, but then Jesus' blood and right, that stone, that's what he's talking about. And you know what? If Israel had had faith and they'd been walking all along, come back there to Matthew 21. When the word of God came and it pointed to the Messiah, you know what they would have said? There's our mind. There's our our saving and sustaining stone. There's our rock. And yet, they didn't. So therefore they had the outward appearance that they were doing the will of God when in reality they weren't doing the, they had all the privilege of being the householder, they had all that privilege of being the husbandman. And because of their condition of willful unbelief, the judgment of God is set on them. And that's that issue of the smiting stone there, okay? Now, when we come into chapter 22 next time, and Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, (laughs) he's going to give them another parable here, and and this is the parable of the marriage feast, as it's called, and then he's going to deal, verse 15, he's going to deal, or verse 16, with the Herodians, and then over down he's going to deal with the lawyers. So he ain't done with them. The three classes of people, those classes... You got the chief priests and the rulers and the, El- the pharisees the sadducees he's dealing with them and then he's going to get over there with the herodians and the lawyers and but what he's doing is he's laying it out for all to see the condition of unbelief but he's also provoking them to kill him because what did they already want to do to him verse 46 And when they sought to lay hands on him, they are trying to figure out how to kill him without upsetting the the people. And he's using them to get the deed done that needs to be done, which is his crucifixion. See? So, what a picture of religious leaders. Because just as they were here with his day, they are the same in our day. So when you look around and you see the Pope doing what the Pope does, and you see these guys doing what they're doing, and you know you see all this stuff, there's a reason why they're that way, because of the power, the prestige. I love that the ecclesiastical position <laughs> that they have, and they don't want to lose it. People always ask about why don't you know how can a preacher see right division and then yet keep teaching bad doctrine, and a lot of it, honestly, if you could have them be honest with you, a lot of them is that filthy lucre sake. They don't want to lose the power and the prestige. Every, day, every time I preach, every time I teach, I take my ministry here and I put it into, uh, it, I make it risky. Because at any point in time, what can happen? The room can be empty and everybody leave and be gone. And you run the risk of that because in the age of grace, the verse Second Corinthians one twenty four. I don't have dominion over your faith. I'm just a helper of your joy. For by faith ye stand. See, so I put it on the line every time we get together, teach, counsel, and so forth, because eventually what was going to happen? All those in Asia have forsaken me. Paul said. They're going to go, and it's a risk. So, anyway, all right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the picture here as we see these men be who they ultimately and really are. And you're dealing with them as you're going to go to Calvary. And you're going to use their unbelief to fulfill the scriptures as it is needed. In your name we pray. Amen.